Hi, I'm Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. In this episode, I interview David Johnson, financial services entrepreneur. David wears three hats. He's an independent director. He's a chairman for hire, and he's also a client. We're going to role play the three roles that he plays and where value sits from an advisory point of view. Some really interesting perspectives. Welcome to The Gap. Scott Fitzpatrick here with my good friend David Johnson, one of the gurus of the industry and the profession in wealth management. He's been in financial services for far too long. He works as chairman for different firms. He's an independent director. He sits on ASX boards. He's been heavily involved in the progression of wealth management in New Zealand. Great to have you here, Dave. Oh, thanks, Scott. It's a, a pleasure and what a lovely intro. Thanks very much. <laughs> I made it all up. But let's just set the scene here. What This session is about commoditization that's occurring across the industries in, in the professions of accounting, wealth management, legal, and the push for value, I'll call it. And what one of the things I want to talk about today is where value sits for families and family businesses and when is the right time for them to set up advisory boards and who should be setting them up and you know what sort of people do we want to have on those boards so I really want to pick your brain mm. as, as we walk through this but firstly Dave I want your take on what you're seeing from a commoditization point of view in financial services yeah it's 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 interesting Scott because it's it's a it's a race to get quality clients i think um with all of the compliance additional layers of compliance and cost over the last you know probably 15 years and it's ever increasing uh, it's more and more difficult for financial advisors accountants solicitors uh, when they're charging just by the hour to make money for their businesses so i think they're looking for to try and put together a process whereby they can get the best margin they can get out of an hourly rate by commoditizing their um, offering. Yeah, so what, what we're seeing, if we just sort of quickly go through this, in, in wealth management, the cost to you know, gain or procure a client and then look after a client's gone through the roof. Yes. And so your, your normal mum and dad client, you just cannot afford to look after them anymore. So there's a race up the complexity scale mm. to deal with more complex clients who can afford to pay for your, your services. And then in accounting, we see the same things where people are starting to question now, do I really want to pay $500 an hour um, for my tax return? Mm. I can get that done possibly cheaper overseas at the moment. And same in the legal world, I'm sure you know this commoditization is occurring. We see it across all of it, and so there's this race to the top now, mm. which is what I want to talk about with for successful advisors working with successful clients, this concept in a, from a business sense is when should I start to think about bringing in an advisory board? Or how do I broach that with my clients? 
Yeah, I, I think perhaps the earlier they do it, the better to, to provide the, the client the opportunity to consider it because it becomes quite evasive for the client to have people in their business that haven't been in their business before and understanding the complexities of their businesses and how it operates and who operates what and what family's involved and what family isn't involved. So it's 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 kind of like you know getting undressed in front of uh, three or four people um, that you've never met before. So I mean, that's getting, really that's really interesting because yeah. it is quite personal. Yeah, to let someone else in the tent. It it, it is. So the earlier that the financial advisor can have that conversation around saying, yes, look, I think we should consider bringing in a few people, maybe one to start with and then a couple of others that are experts in other fields and industries that can just bring a, a total different level of governance into the business, a different ideas and experiences. Um, and in, in some cases, it's, it's a mentorship program as well, or could so, be. Uh, and I'll just take you back to that point because that's the point I want to focus on. I think the value is in one person helping form the advisory board. So yeah. whether it's the... Yes. doesn't matter which profession it came yeah. from, but I think that's where the value piece starts in someone saying... Because if I leave it up to the business owner to form his own advisory board, it, it's He's probably not... not gonna it's it. not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. So you need someone to get it by the scruff of the neck and go, right... What does this business need? And, and, then, and then what's the skill set required around it? Yeah, and that perhaps should be the most trusted advisor. And if it's the financial advisor who's the most trusted advisor of the client, they should be the ones who are assisting the business to put that together by introducing some people they may know to, um, to that business owner. Yeah, I think as someone in that wealth management industry who's across their total balance sheet, Possibly the accountant can sit in there as well across their total balance sheet. But then to start the process of the beauty parade, what would you be looking for? A typical small business, what would be the eclectic skill set you'd want to have sitting around them? And I know that's a broad generalisation. I, 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 I see two sides of the coin that they should be looking for. One is someone who has perhaps a risk and governance background. And on the other side, someone who's had some entrepreneurial uh, experience or you know, built their own businesses that perhaps the business owner can relate, relate to. So know, the highs and lows of yeah. being in business. So know. talk to me about risk and governance frameworks to start with. What, what course would you do? What would, that people, what would that person typically look like? Uh, typically, they would have perhaps sat on a risk and audit committee. So they might... Um, be in a larger, uh, you know, they might have been a, a, in an ASX listed group or a larger um, private business where they consider. So generally, that person would 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 have more of a company company secretarial background or a legal background, um, but not necessarily so. But uh, but perhaps a in governance that mindset. Governance mindset and. You know, there's associations of there's risk and governance and audit associations that you could um, you could go to to find that. That sort was my of next person. question. Yeah. Where, where do we find them? Yeah. They, would they have done an Institute of Company Directors course or likely to have, or have done a risk and governance course right. uh, them, themselves? So yeah. So I think that's the kind of background for the risk 
sort of risk or governance. But also an entrepreneurial person can have that experience if they've built their own businesses as well. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, and I think it's, it's through referral, through networks of people you already know. And then how would you, um, do you start off, a, does a typical advisory board, would it start with one person then who's going to lead the project and then working out, do we need another one or two people in there with me? Do we need to set a budget for it? How would I typically work with the business? Or how would you typically work with the business owner? I would start with one. I think that's the great idea. And that may be more in a mentorship role whereby you you are doing exactly what you're talking about. Okay, introducing other types of people with skill sets and building out a framework of what the advisory board would look like. Um, so, so you're taking them on the journey. Yes, you are. Yeah. And, but it is that one person that the, perhaps the entrusted advisor, being the financial advisor, has recommended this person, spent some time with the business owner and said, okay, well, tell me about your business. Where are the issues in your business? Where do you see the biz- biggest risks in your business? What do you want to do with the business? And then that person go away and say, okay, well, I think this is the sort of advisory board you, you would need and this is the costings of it and... You know, let's go on this journey. Let's don't do it too quickly. Let's get you, but let's get you engaged in this process. And within an Australian context, does that advisory board typically is that like a non-director role? Yes, I, w- I would imagine so. In the in the smaller type businesses, as the business gets bigger, well then I would uh, recommend a, a, a fully fledged board of directors that are non non-executive directors and, and a few executive directors being perhaps the business owners. And typically, how long would that role last for? Is that a, you sign up for 12 months? Is, a, is uh, it reviewed at 12 months? I know you like to shuffle your boards around. Uh, so from an advisory board point of view, I, I, it could morph into a full board at a point, point in time, depending on how successful the business is and how, how the growth aspirations are of, of the business but you really to add any value you, you'd want to be there for, for a minimum of two years um, you've got to have some continuity and cycles of, of the issues that are in the business so um, those business cycles so I think two years would be be the be the minimum that you'd look look for and so just walk me through what would uh, the initial three months look like from an advisor advisory board so if we were meeting each month so I'm the business owner, yeah. and you've got an advisory board, yeah. which is yourself and two others. Yeah. I'm sitting here in my first advisory board meeting, yes. a little bit nervous that I brought you into the yes. tent. Uh, how, how, would it, how would it play out? So my suggestion would be to start with a strategy day and to have the advisory board and the business owners and any other key management that they want to be involved and perhaps the financial advisor as well and to run, get someone or one of the members of the advisory board to run a strategy day. Uh, from that strategy day, build out a strat plan, let the management and business owners go and run a, a, a business planning uh, workshop to, to build out their business plan based on the strategy and that business plan would also include all their financials and their, and their budgets for the next 12 months. Then the next, me- next couple of meetings would be talking around 
is that strategy right? Is the business plan right? Is the financials right? And then all saying, right, we're all on the same page here. We're rowing in the same direction. You go out and uh, start executing on this business plan and, 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 and uh, forecast. Very good. So we're going to get some, some progress. We're going to see some rhythm underway. We're three months in. We're six months in. And I know uh, the, the depth and the breadth of that relationship from an advisory point of view can, can go from the business mm. to a lot of the people issues that sit inside those businesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know you've had a lot of experience in dealing with that. So sometimes it's uh, how do we retain the CEO? How do we retain the key staff? How do we exit some people? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think once the business owner gets a level of comfort with the people that he surrounded or she surrounded themselves with, and they're remunerating them because, you know, it's a role that they should be seen as a commercial relationship, not just a personal relationship. Um, they get that confidence that they can allow them to step a little bit further into perhaps some of the HR issues that they're that, that are that are occurring. right. So it's a trust relationship that's built, yeah. yes. And now yeah. they're open to taking your counsel, yeah, on yes some of the in the business matters. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And that's great, Dave. So just help me out now that I'm going from. I want you to shift hats now that you're on the advisory board, but now you're you're going to become the chairman. Mm -hmm. So just can you outline the chairman's role for us there? How that would be different? Yeah, um, it. It is, it's quite a different role being just a member of a committee or member of an advisory board or, or a non-executive director of even an ASX listed company than a chairman. So the chairman takes much more responsibility for the board's conduct and what the board is doing and managing the board and generally has a closer and more active role with the CEO and the executive management of a larger, larger group. So, uh, it, 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 it's again, it's a different skill set to, to be a chairman than just to be a non-executive director. You, you are there to draw out from a, the, your advisory board or the yep. NEDs, any issues they're seeing within the business, but they don't want to come forward with them or they just feel that the other board members are uh, you know, a little bit over the top compared to them and they're quieter. And so that so that is a different skill set to be able to draw that out yeah. or to notice what's going on in the room. Correct, that's right. You've got to have a high level of emotional intelligence, I believe, to be a chairman. Not so much so being uh, a chairman for years and that makes you a good chairman, it's being uh, what you can do with the other directors and CEO and executive management that other non-executive directors can Being able to read the room. Yeah. And maybe that, it's a generalisation, but maybe it takes a few grey hairs to be able to, to sit in that role. Yeah, I think so. It takes a little bit of experience. Yeah, it, it takes experience, but I think it takes experience in perhaps, I believe, in running a business and running quite small businesses, quite large businesses. Because again, it's about people. So whether you're running a business or you're running a board or you're running a a, a, um, advisory board or a committee it's about people it's people that are making decisions collectively and so you've got to come to consensus on some things so it's it's getting to that bringing people to that point yeah i've just got that vision of the of the chairman being the master puppeteer actually 
Yeah, it, 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 it can play out like that in, 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 in some, some ways. You, know, you can have other board members that are aggressive you know, and opinionated. Um, we've all got opinions, yeah, but some of them are very forceful and very opinionated. And so it's managing those sort of people against man and managing those that are, are quiet and, and but have an opinion, but you've got to draw it out of them. So let's just go back to I'm the business owner again. Um, why would I? Why would I bring on an advisory board? What What would it do for me? Well, I, I think when you're a business owner, you you know the the old saying you you can't see the wood for the trees because you're in the business, you're driving the business, you're living it, you're breathing it, you're emotionally involved, you're financially involved with it, and you know in in most cases you you built it from zero. Uh, so yeah, it's your baby. It's your, yeah, it's your yeah. baby. So um, sometimes you just you, you 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 have blinkers on, and I think allowing other people to come in with the experience to give you a different way of doing something, maybe some advice, um, will only help you grow and create more value for your business. Because if that business is not is only reliant on you at the top and not other executives, and it's not reliant on an advisory board. Um, well, you don't have an advisory board. You know, the, the value sits with you um, if you were ever going to exit out of the business. Mm, that's a really good point. You'd be, in your opinion, you, you'd maybe discounted from a value point of view if you haven't got a robust board or frameworks or definitely. a record of events. Yes, definitely. Because it, if you've built the business and you are the business, then... When you sell the business, well, you're likely to be checking out or, or over a period of time, there's high risk in the person coming in or the people coming in to buy that. So I think that's, that, that's one of the important factors for, for doing it. And peace of mind, just having others to, to talk through issues at, at a level that you're at and you can feel comfortable doing that, whereas you generally can't do that with your employees. And most business owners would go home and do it with their spouse, who may be or may not be the best person to oh, for sure. talk through those. May not be interested. May not be interested. Um, so there's a couple of good points there. One is it's a very good investment decision for the long-term value of your business. But the, the salient point for me is it's, it's just a great way to add value from an advisory point of view in bringing this concept to your, your business clients. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they'd be, they, they'd be forever in your debt if, the, if they get the right people, the right structure um, for, for doing that. It's Brings them into a whole new world. Mm. Dave, just quickly, I want you to make comment on the difference between working in a public versus private company, because I know you do some work with ASX. Mm. Um, it's, it, it's certainly different. The, 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 the level of governance and requirements... Um, legal requirements, etc., in in an ASX listed company is uh, is, is much higher than, than what it is in a private company. Um, so, depending on what the size of the private company is, I when I go to a private company board or chair one, I really try to start building out the same level of governance and the same structure as if it was an ASX wow. interesting and and perhaps <clears throat> not as detailed but 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 using that as a, that, framework. that framework 
because it works in the ASX yep. listed company world, so it should work in the in in the pro and it does does work in the private. Great. Now, just moving along, just quickly, I know you're doing some work in New Zealand for yeah. all our listeners. Yes. They're in a new world over there, or just a beginning to come into the into a new world of licensing. Yeah, definitely they are. And how do you see that landscape changing? Well, it's 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 been mooted of around these changes for you know probably seven eight years. I've been involved in financial services there for probably that time. And I've always mentioned to uh, New Zealand, uh, my New Zealand friends and um, cohorts, that uh, this is coming. This type of compliance, this type of regulatory environment is going to come to New Zealand. Well, it's there. It's there now. It starts, you know, effectively starts in, in March of 2021. Uh, I don't think they're prepared for it. Most are not prepared for it. They, they need help with this and they only have to look across you know into Australia to see what's occurred in the last 15 years to know that they've got their their brothers across the road or across the water there who can help them and 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 are willing to help them through these uh, the transition the tran orders. transition so let me I'll get you to take your chairman company director hat off mm. now and I'm going to put you in the client seat because I know you are a client of the firm and you're a great advocate for us. Yeah. And I want you to be brutally honest and put your client hat on and go, where does the value sit for you engaging a wealth advisory firm? Well, it's, it, it, it's interesting and I could give you a whole, you know, two hours on this, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. I. I always, because I've been in financial services, I've always seen value in having a financial advisor, but I never really had one. I did it myself. Yeah. And it got to a point where I met you and immediately thought, that's the sort of person that I'm prepared to open up to with my family affairs um, and, and were comfortable in to, to be able to do that. But then that's a journey in itself to, to, to open up. And I think sure. that's one of the most difficult pieces that, that advisors may find getting new clients is for those new clients to open up to them and provide them the information and allow someone to come into their, mm. their, their, their world. And it's, it, it gets back to that, that trust factor. So once you get over that, the key thing for me is peace of mind. Absolutely, that's why I've, you know that's why I'm happy to invest in paying fees for uh, a firm like yours to look after me and my family as a client. It's peace of mind. If I get hit by a truck tomorrow, I have a heart attack. Uh, you know, hopefully neither of those yep. occur. But uh, you know, the, my family have one phone number to ring, and uh, that might be your mobile. It might be the yeah, sure. office. And then that I, I, I know and they know that everything from that point on would be looked after. So to me, that's what it's, it's about peace of mind. Great, I really like that concept. <laughs> that's what we're trying to do. But we're also trying to um, free up your time, take away some of the paperwork, take away some of the complexity that I know that you're quite capable of doing yourself. Yeah, I, and, and perhaps with 
some of your uh, larger family office clients, that's something that you know, I, I know that you do and you, you, know, or you your office does it and you do it very well. Um, you know, I may not be at that level yet that I require that, but uh, you know, if, 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 if a, I ever I am, I, I will certainly uh, you're be happy future, to you. You're a future growth client. Future growth client. <laughs> so listen, what I want to do is just summarise, summarise this so for all our listeners out there who are thinking about this. Number one, we, we both agree this is a great piece of the puzzle in, in providing higher level value to our business clients. Yeah, no doubt. Secondly, what you've said is let's do this earlier than later and broach it with our, with our clients. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thirdly, we've said let's, the, the skill is in someone running with the project and getting the right people around the table. Yes. And we spoke a little about an eclectic skill set. We don't want everybody having the same skill set sitting around that table. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And then it's the, uh, we think it's a good investment uh, from the families to have this in place because at some stage you may want to sell your business and you've got a governance framework in, the, in place that won't be discounted. Yeah. If, if anything, it'd be the other way. You're creating more value, so the opportunity to sell your business for more um, will be there because you've put in an advisory board. Great. I love that. Now, Dave, I want to finish with two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One is, I know you're a successful guy. What are, what's one or a couple of the daily habits that you think you do really well that contribute to your success? Well, the first one I don't do always really well, but is exercise. I think you've got to provide um, at, at least five days a week some form of exercise, and I like to do that in the morning to clear, clear, clear my head. Um, another successful habit is being actually focused around time. Time, you don't, you know, everyone's got 24 hours in a day, um, use them wisely. No time wasters, or yeah. little time wasters. Yeah, don't use those time wasters. Right, we're going to finish with the big one. Yeah. Which, if you had one life lesson for us all, what would that be? One life lesson. I didn't uh, learn this early. I wish I'd learned it a lot earlier. It's balance. I think you've got to balance your work life, your family life, and personal time or personal life. You've got to balance, get a, get the right balance of that. Um, and that's different for different people, but you've got to have those three components. So that's, that's it. That's a perfect way to finish, my friend. Thank you for your time today. Hope everybody enjoyed listening to it, and I'm sure we'll get you back in the future. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Scott. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the GAF podcast. We're all about empowering advisors, giving them additional tools for their toolkit to give great advice. Great advice leads to great business frameworks, which leads to great results for the community.